a warm up from below. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas. The Ghost Ghost Soup with myself, Craig Eubanks, and now a part of the Beast and Family of Podcasts. And we have a great podcast where he's in the second segment. Kai McKeon does a great job over there at the Three Man Weave, and all the gentlemen over there at the Three Man Weave. They do absolutely amazing work. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. We don't have a ton for Monday, but we've noticed some big giant outliers with regards to college basketball in recent days. We've seen over 60% of games go over the total in the last seven days. We've seen home underdogs be absolutely destroyed in this recent time span as well. So we're going to be chatting with him to see if he thinks that this is a little bit of an anomaly, if this is something that is here to stay, how to gauge all this. So we're going to be having that chat in the second segment along with a couple previews for Monday's games. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always do love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. And you've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at JarenScorty1. Keep in mind, letters M. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is writing an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. By that five-star review, did wind up getting in a question today, so let's dive in. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. I had many people ask me how you wind up adjusting when you do wind up seeing results that don't wind up going your way. We're going to be touching upon this with Kai in the second segment as well, but I think context is really key because I also, because I always say the phrase, I'm not betting teams, I am betting numbers, have a lot of people ask me why I wind up doing this podcast, and It's much like with a math teacher, whenever they wind up solving a problem, you always show your work, and I think that that is really the most important part when it comes to everything that I wind up doing. I would actually say, rather than just looking at the spreadsheet and looking for differentials in my numbers, listen to why I wind up setting these numbers, and I think that that's the biggest thing, because then you're able to see what I wind up doing, you can agree, you can disagree, what have you, but you know exactly where I'm coming from, and I think that that's really important, and when it comes to taking a look at these college basketball teams, making adjustments on a game and game out basis. I think that taking a look at the last result, taking a look at what we've all seen for the season, sort of melding that together, I think is so key because when you take a look at a game like we're going to throw out there, one of the instances that the person that wound up asking this question threw out there is Iowa State. How do I wind up adjusting to them after they wound up losing to Oklahoma? And I say really nothing at all because Iowa State has been undervalued all season long. This is a game in which against Oklahoma, they were up by double digits. They were tied with six minutes left to go. And then they were just on the wrong end of a really, really bad run. And they literally went all of one from the free throw line. They were the first team since the beginning of the 2010-2011 season to be from a power five conference to go all of one from the free throw line for the entirety of a game. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And you take a look at a game like Memphis versus Cincinnati. I'm not going to adjust Memphis too much because that wound up being a push on the total. I had Memphis pretty highly touted, and when it comes to that game, Cincinnati shot 16 of 30 from three-point range. They probably couldn't have shot better at an empty YMCA gym, and yet it still wound up being a push on the total because, I mean, you wound up having a big outlier at the end, but you sort of take a look at it, got a big outlier with regards to three-point shooting, got a big outlier with regards to the end. You sort of got the result that you probably should have. So I do think that just taking a look at how these games wind up going, trying to 
piecemeal all that together, try to figure out, okay, what is really sustainable? What is not sustainable? I think that that is just so big when it comes to taking a look at this. I mean, heck, we'll throw out there another game that we wound up seeing on Sunday, Minnesota versus Indiana. I wound up saying Minnesota on my line, more around an 8.5 point underdog. They wind up closing right in the neighborhood about 11.5 in a lot of spots. And if you took a look at that game, Minnesota was down by one point with nine minutes left. They just went on this cataclysmically bad run at the end of the game. They wind up not being able to cover because of a late foul as well if you wind up having more like 12 to 12 and a half. So, I mean, it's one of those things where do you really adjust too much because the team wound up collapsing at the end of a game if there's a track record of it because we've seen SMU blow so many double-digit leads that it's not even funny. Then, yeah, maybe you adjust your numbers a little bit more if you remember that Nevada team back when Eric Musselman was there. They were always terrible in the first half, good in the second half. You do want to be accounting for that one. There seems to be a clear trend. Sometimes there's just variance, and the question I was asked was adjusting for the variance, and it's just that. You're going to have results that sometimes are very wonky, sometimes they're exactly what you expect, and then sometimes you wind up getting a lot of, I would say, in between. Like, if a book winds up setting a number at 10, I wind up setting it at 12. If it winds up landing 11, that's probably where it should be going. So, I do take a look at everything with regards to adjusting these numbers. I take a look at things game by game. I make sure to not do anything too rash unless if something rash is warranted, like a top player being out for the rest of the season, things like this. And I try to keep things into context with that regard and try to look at how a team wound up covering slash not covering rather than just looking at the final score because the why I think is just so important. So hopefully that answers your questions. Now let's take a look back at everything that we wound up seeing in college basketball on Sunday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Going to be bringing this up with Kai McKeon as well, but you take a look at what we've seen the last seven days in college basketball. Home underdogs, 34-52-1 against the spread. I can tell you right now, I think that we are going to see this trend reverse itself, and overs have hit in the last seven days at a 61.3% clip. 155 overs, 98 unders. Teams have been really stinking efficient. We're going to dive into that a little bit more with Kai McKeon, but I can tell you right now, this trend I think is really going to dry up, and road teams are hitting at a 58.7% clip the last seven days. 149, 105, and 3. And if you look at the season to date, we don't have as many things that are necessarily as demonstrative away teams. They are 50.1% against the spread. So about as close to 50-50 as you can get. Home underdogs overall for the year, 188, 193, and 12. And overall overs have now taken a lead on unders 1,165 to 1,105. So I do think that there's going to be value on unders. But certainly this recent just bonsai charge that we've seen with regards to the away teams with regards to everything that we've seen with overs, I do think that's going to reverse itself, and we saw quite a few cheap overs on Sunday. How about if we hit on the Wisconsin versus Maryland game? You wound up having 14 points in the final 36 seconds. Push this game over. 76-69, the Wisconsin Badgers get there. Wisconsin gets up by kind of 29-8. to Maryland actually wound up leading for much of the second half before they were just unable to close this one out. Wisconsin wins this game because they go 15-18 at the free throw line. Maryland, they themselves wound up going 12-15, but Johnny Davis, who right now I feel like should be the national player of the year, honestly not the world's greatest game from him. 19 points on one of seven three-point shooting, but still had seven rebounds, and it was Tyler Wall who wound up having 21 points that led the way. Meanwhile, you take a look at 
what you want of getting out of Maryland. And it's a team that's in a little bit of transition right now, but Eric Aiello was able to step up with 19 points. He went 4 of 8 from 3-point range overall. Maryland 7 of 17 from distance, but Maryland, even though they won the rebound battle by kind of 33-29, to they were unable to pull out this game as Wisconsin. Just eight turnovers in this one. I mentioned that Indiana versus Minnesota game, 73-60 to the final. As I mentioned, Minnesota, they were down by one point with about nine minutes left, and they don't cover double figures. One of those things of what you just toss up your hands if you, like me, wound up having Minnesota. They went 5-25 of from three-point range. They're not a great three-point shooting team, but at the same time, they're typically better than that. Minnesota wound up losing the rebound battle by kind of 39-30. to and for Trace Jackson Davis, good performance, 13 points, 12 rebounds, but just a case in which Minnesota couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. They only forced Indiana into six turnovers, but they themselves turned the ball over just five times, so they were able to be relatively efficient, just weren't able to get there. Purdue-Fort Wayne winds up going on the road. They take down Robert Morris, who is now without their top scoring regime done by kind of 76-70. I feel like bookmakers have yet to adjust enough for the fact that Dunn is out of the fold and for IPFW. Just 7-24 from three-point range. Meanwhile, for Robert Morris, seems like the ball handling is going a little bit more to Cam Ferris, who's been a very good sharpshooter for the team, just one of eight from three, and I think that that's going to be affecting him moving forward. And if you take a look at the horizon, like I do think that the conference is going to be going through Oakland, Cleveland State, the reigning champs. They win in overtime against Young Sound State by kind of 86 to 80. Young Sound State went 10 of 23 from three point range and 20 of 23 at the charity stripe, but where they wound up losing this game, they committed 16 turnovers to Cleveland State's 14, and Cleveland State won the rebound battle. 48 to 32. As for Cleveland State, the guy that stepped up, Demoy Hodge, who all of a sudden has been just a lightning rod for this team. He wound up having 31 points in this one. You take a look at what he's been able to do recently, and it has been nothing short of amazing. And this is a guy that has been averaging darn near 20 points per game in the last eight games, so he has been able to be on one. Niagara and Quinnipiac. Talk about another over that probably should not have gotten there. This one winds up landing on the over with the count 76 to 66. Niagara is able to get the win. This total closes at 136.5, and if you took a look at it, this was a game that was 62 to 54 with right in the neighborhood of about three and a half minutes remaining. You wound up having a little bit of late game felling that wound up pushing this one over. And you take a look at Quinnipiac, just 10 of 33 from three-point range. Meanwhile, Niagara, they go 9 of 24 from distance. You wound up getting 21 points out of Noah Thompson. That wound up being able to be the elixir for Niagara in this one and for Quinnipiac. They did wind up doing a solid job on glass, winning the rebound battle by kind of 36 to 28, but you can tell that this is a team that without Savion Lewis and company out there, it certainly has been a little bit tough for them, but Matt Blanich, your top scorer, who have been missing recent games, he is back in the fold, so that is going to be very paramount for them. Fairfield, a team that has been one of the best cover teams in all of college basketball, unable to get it done against Siena. They wind up blowing a second half lead. They wind up losing by kind of 69 to 62 for Siena. The big key for them is the fact that they were able to guard the arc against Fairfield who went just 3 of 18 from distance for Sienna as well. 16 of 21 at the free throw line, 13 of 20 for Fairfield and for Sienna you were able to get 19 big points, 8 rebounds out of Nick Hopkins. I've been sort of waiting for him to be able to emerge. This was a big coming out party for him and Fairfield they lose this game despite the fact that they were able to force Sienna into 13 turnovers including 6 turnovers out of Jared Billups in this one. You did wind up seeing out there in the Big Ten, Ohio State barely be able to cover due to a late game foul against Northwestern, 95-87 to the final, Ohio State just completely blitzed Northwestern in the first half, Northwestern was able to actually make a run late in this one, game was really 
becoming a little bit more, shall we say, stagnant towards the end of the game, a little bit more tedious. Northwestern, they do go 10 of 24 from three-point range, but the big thing for Iowa State, they went 11 of 25. C.J. Liddell looked like the All-American candidate that we expected him to be. 34 points, four rebounds, five blocks on five of seven three-point shooting. And the guy that's really going under the radar, how about Malachi Branham? He has been absolutely amazing for this Ohio State team recently. He has been able to average now 24 points in the last three games. So he's got in total 72 points in the last three contests. Went 13 of 14 at the free throw line as Ohio State. 26 of 27 at the line, which is a big reason why they were able to cover this one. Washington went back to being Washington. They wind up failing to cover right around 9, 9.5 points against Colorado by kind of 78 to 64 for Colorado. 8 of 20 from three-point range. They've been a little bit of a rough three-point shooting team all season long, but they just completely plowed Washington on the glass. 47 to 27. This is a Washington team that is one of the worst teams with regards to rebounding in the Power 5 level. Now, they were able to get 18 points out of Cole Bajama, who has actually really been able to emerge for this team, and Terrell Brown has been the entire team pretty much for Washington this year. Just 12 points in this one, but still chipped in there. Six steals, five assists, but for Washington, looks like it's going to be a relatively rough outlook for them. Hofstra, they were able to win in a battle of CAA powers. 87-80 the final in this one for James Madison. They wound up having the lead going into the final four minutes of the game, 80-79, to and they would not score from there. We have been seeing a lot of this recently, and for James Madison, they were able to get a eight-point lead in the first half, and they were unable to hang on for Ofstra. What was really key for this team is the fact that they were able to do a solid job of being able to force James Madison into 19 turnovers. Now, Hofstra, they themselves wound up having 10 turnovers, and you wound up having a 15-15 and 15 out of Abioma, Iola. Meanwhile, for James Madison, you don't necessarily have that headliner, but Beto Morse in this game was able to have 24 points. I have a feeling that these two teams will be squaring off in the CAA tournament, and it's going to be a good one. Charleston seems to be throttling down a little bit, 65-61 to 61 the final. They've been in the top five with regards to possessions per game, and the tempo was relatively there, but a little bit of sloppy play in this one. Elon wound up having 17 turnovers. They get down 15 points, but were able to make a run to be able to get a cover in this one. And then for Oakland, the team that I really think is going to be able to win the Ryzen League, I think that they could do damage if they wind up making the tournament 86-65. They just completely bludgeon UW-Milwaukee. A Milwaukee team that has been in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game. I thought that they would pump up their tempo. They wound up doing so a little bit more in this game, but 18 turnovers wound up dooming them. They have been without Pat Baldwin Jr. recently, and you got to expect that he is not going to be returning until otherwise noted. And for Jalen Moore, 15 points, 14 assists, and Jamal Cain, he is very able to carry this team. 15 points, four steals in this one. Oakland, once again, a very quality of performance. And if you're taking a look at some of the best teams against the spread in all of college basketball, Oakland certainly has been one that has been towards the top of the list this season. Oakland has been very intermiss with regards to against the spread record in recent years, but this has been one of the better years for Oakland. You take a look at them and where they wind up standing, and it's now 11-4 and against the spread. One of the better teams in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at teams that have not necessarily been so great against the Spread, you are able to highlight Robert Morris, who I mentioned a little bit earlier out there in that conference. 3-11 and 11 against the spread. And Ryder, they're just 3-9 and nine against the spread, but they wound up getting one of those covers on Sunday. They get an outright win against Maris by kind of 79-75. to 75. Ryder was just a little bit overvalued coming into the year in general. Now things seem to be a little bit more straight away with them as for Ryder. They went 9-14 from three-point range. Once again, I mentioned outliers. That is certainly one of them. Even if they wind up shooting league average, they probably would have been able to cover eight points in this game. The outright win was a little bit fortunate for Maris. This is a team that just 
just plays a lot of strange isolation. They went 12 of 36 from three-point range. It's just really hard to figure out that offense in general. And for Ryder, they were able to have every one of their starters give them at least 10 points and four other five starters at least six rebounds. So it's certainly a good team effort there. If you wound up taking the New York Post play of the day, you most likely wound up pushing. This was a closing number of seven. I know that there were some seven apps out there. There were some six apps. So some of you guys might have won. Some of you guys might have lost. But this, by and large, you gets chalked up as a push. And a very lucky one at that. 87 to 80. Now, you are unlucky if you bet on Memphis towards the beginning part of the game. Because Cincinnati, they shoot 16 to 30 from three-point range. They were coming in shooting sub-30% from three. I mean, this was just an absolutely unreal three-point shooting performance from them. And they were carried by the fact that they had Jeremiah Davenport go 7-10 from distance. And this is a Memphis team that, let's call it what it is, they are a little bit interesting, to say the least. You had DeAndre Williams beyond the fold in this game, but Jalen Duran was able to play through injury. And he was able to give the team seven points, five rebounds, three blocks. So he was able to be a good rim protector. I think that moving forward, they need to be giving Josh Minot more minutes. He wound up having 14 points, 10 rebounds was an energizer bunny. Whether they're going to do that or not, who knows, because Penny Hardaway is a coach that literally has no idea what he's doing. Great recruiter, but when it comes to X's and O's, not great. But Lester Kionis, 18 points. And for Memphis, 11 turnovers in this game. Considering they average right around 18, that's actually a very good sign for them. This is a bad sign if you're a fan. Let's go. They wind up going on the road and they lose to Central Arkansas 93-88, to a Central Arkansas team that is playing the Ole style of defense. And for Central Arkansas, 11-24 to is what they wound up shooting from three-point range with just five turnovers. Central Arkansas has generated more turnovers than Sarah Lee's Bakery this year, so that is certainly a little bit of a mark against Lipscomb. And then you wound up seeing Towson be unable to get a cover against Northeastern by a count of 70-67. This is another game in which it was a bit strange because Towson gets up 15 points with about seven minutes remaining and then Northeastern was able to cut the lead. Heck, this was a lead in which was right around like 8-10-ish to 10-ish with, I would say, about four minutes left to go and Towson unable to cover that game. So uh, that's why I was explaining a little bit on the outset about taking context into account when it comes to some of these results. And this was a very, very good result if you are looking at Montana State, perhaps being able to win the Big Sky, 66-59. They take down Montana. For Montana, they have really been playing slow, so they do wind up getting another under to be able to come home for them. But for Montana State, how about Amin Adamo being able to give the team 19 points? Meanwhile, for Montana, you wind up having, I have no idea why he came off the bench, but Cameron Parker coming off the bench for 18 points, was able to do a good job. He was a little bit more a lot out of the facilitation role as the team wound up having just five assists in this game, but he was able to do a solid job of being able to help the team out offensively, but you could tell that they were a little bit more disjointed as a result as well. So that's what we wound up seeing in college basketball on Sunday. Now let's turn the page forward, take a look to see if these recent college basketball trends I wound up touching upon a little bit earlier are here to stay, or if it's just a little bit of a small sample size, strange results sort of thing with regards to a bunch of overs, a bunch of home underdogs not coming through, and we're also going to be talking to Kai McKeon of the three man weave about what to expect from Monday. That is up next right here on Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host. 
Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in Lovely Las Vegas with Gus Gus with myself, Greg Eves, and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And it is great to be joined by our guest as this man does an absolutely terrific job over there at the Three Man Weave, which I will follow all their work at the number 3MW underscore CBB as it is Kai McKean joining me on the podcast over there at the Three Man Weave. They do a lot with regards to the field of 68. Their shows, which are right around five or so times a week, they do a great job of being able to fill you guys in there. They do a lot with regards to VSIN. They've got their own podcast as well, which you're able to catch at wherever you find your podcast. And to be able to follow Kai on Twitter, that is at the letters K and Y and then an underscore and then the number 3MW. And Kai, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Great. Thanks for having me. It is always great to have you aboard. And I know that you, much like myself, have been trying to fight it a little bit with regards to some of these late roster changes. It feels like more so than ever before. A team stop score might wind up getting ruled out like 30 minutes before tip time. You've already got a bet in. And it causes things to be very herky-jerky with that, for lack of a better term. How have you been trying to navigate all these landmines? Because I think that it's been as challenging for myself as ever before. I'm not sure if you've had some of the same struggles, but these sorts of things have been very frustrating in recent weeks. Oh, yeah. It's a total crapshoot. Every single game is a lineup check. You never know who's out especially with the teams coming off of COVID, right? Those always seem to have one or two bombs with the rules, in my opinion, good rules of if you have seven players available, you have to play. There's always bound to be guys out. Part of the beast, I guess, now that we're facing, just one more thing to consider, Greg, when we're making lines, as you know. Oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. It certainly is a little bit more difficult. And are there certain teams that you feel like are a little bit more built to be, I guess you could call less volatile with this? Because when I take a look at things, teams that wind up having like, a nine, ten-man rotation, I think that they're a little bit better equipped for this. Like, we've seen Texas Tech actually do a really good job with handling all the guys that have been out for them. It's been a little bit COVID-19. Obviously, you've had, like, the Terrence Shannon back issue as well, but they've been able to navigate through these landmines very well. Meanwhile, I take a look at a thin team, like if Minnesota, for instance, were to be hit with COVID-19, guys being out, things like that, I feel like they'd be a much, much worse case than Texas Tech. Oh, yeah, for sure. Depth matters. And then, of course, positionality. If your point guard is the one that's out and he means a lot to you, clearly that means more for you than maybe a different team. If you have a good backup big man and your starting big man's out, maybe it doesn't matter a whole lot. But, yeah, if you play seven guys and two guys are out, you're probably screwed. We've seen a couple teams do poorly with that, like South Alabama. We've seen a couple teams do well with that, like Air Force the other day. It, it just seems totally random. And one trend isn't really setting the tone for everything. Very as much case by case. Yep, I'm right there with you, and I'm so glad that you want to bring up the word trends because we've actually seen a few in college basketball over the last week or so as we do have Kai McKeon of the three-man weave joining me right here on the podcast. If you take a look at the last seven days in college basketball and really since conference play has began, 
Overs have been hitting like wildfire over the last seven days, according to covers. 154 overs to 98 unders. Now, I'm doing this with like, I would say, three or four games pending from Sunday. But what have you made out of this? Because typically, unders, in my opinion, have quite a bit more value in college basketball this time of year. We've seen the complete opposite thus far. Yeah, it's crazy. It's driven by efficiency. The tempo has been relatively constant over the last couple of days, but the efficiency has been bonkers. And whether that's just hot shooting or whether that's just poor defense, probably a little bit of both, column A and column B. Yeah, we've seen teams just score like crazy. Even though they're not running anymore necessarily, we're not getting higher possession count. It's just teams aren't missing. Maybe it's just a better college basketball product. We have better players. Maybe that's a result of the extra year. Who knows? But yeah, the efficiency's been crazy, hence the overs have been hitting like wildfire. And do you think that we're going to see a little bit of regression to this? Because I take a look at this, and I'm very excited to be betting some unders. I'm going to be taking quite a few on Monday, and I just think that it's going to reverse itself a little bit. We just always see it when it comes to conference play. These games mean a little bit more. Typically, you wind up seeing the tempo get a little bit slower, especially in these tight conference games. So I'm not sure if you're looking at that, but I certainly am. Yeah, definitely. And your hope is that Oz makers overreact to the trend. Nothing to change on your end, just a hope that they overreact, put the numbers a little bit higher, and know that it will probably come down. You're right. We've seen every single year, without fail, tempo comes down in conference play, teams tighten up, defense becomes more of a focus. I think we'll see the unders start to swing back a little bit. Maybe not to the degree that the overs are hitting currently, but it's definitely due for a come around. We've also been seeing something very, very strange with regards to just road teams in general covering. Road teams over the last seven days have covered 58% of games at 148, 105, and 3, with home underdogs being 35, 52, and 1. Meanwhile, road dogs, 96, 70, and 2. So if you've been betting on underdogs on the road, you've done great. Home underdogs, which is something I always love to take, they have been just getting, for lack of a better term, destroyed. I have to feel like there's going to be regression with this as well. I do think that home court advantage is going to matter now. We know that there are some places that are going without fans once again, and I do think that that certainly is something that needs to be taken into account with regards to handicapping. But I can't see home underdogs continuing to cover at just a 40% clip. No, yeah, it's another anomaly. I buy maybe a little bit that home court advantage has fallen for certain teams that either had students on break, right, so they don't have as big as much of a raucous crowd, or certain teams around the country have disallowed fans. So maybe that hurts your home court a little bit. But it's extreme right now, and I think it's an anomaly. I agree. I do think it's going to swing back around. We're going to see those percentages even out. Yep, I'm right there with you. It certainly has been a strange last few weeks of college basketball, to say the least, as we do have Kai McKeon joining me on the podcast. And I think that that is something so big because you're mentioning the word anomaly. I personally have not seen too many stretches of college basketball like this where you wind up seeing overs hitting at above a 60% clip for this big of a sample size, having home underdogs just not come through the way that it does. In my opinion, you don't want to be changing overly much. Certainly, you want to be making adjustments on a few teams. But when you wind up seeing a team like DePaul be up at the half and not covered by double digits, I don't think that you need to overreact too much. Rather, if you wind up seeing a team that is down by double digits, make a little bit of a run, and then wind up losing by double digits, I think that you'd make a little bit more of an adjustment there. I think that it's all based on what you actually wind up seeing rather than just the results itself. I think that you probably have a little bit of agreement here, but what's your overall thoughts on winding up making some changes after some of these shall we say, strange results. Yeah, you got to watch how the game plays. Final score is often misleading, right? Guys throwing garbage, 
buckets, there's a ton of fouling, which is why certain analytical sites can be misleading in their rankings, and you can use that as advantage when you're lining games. We've seen a ton of just crazy second halves, too. As you know, you know teams, like you said, DePaul, for instance, up at halftime, blown out in the second half, and it's happened time and time again this year, more so really than I can remember, at least the recent past. Yeah, it's a difficult decision whether to raise or lower a team, but if a team gets up by 10 or 15 ends up losing, not covering, I might still raise them in my power ratings because they have that burst, that ability to get up. Yep, I'm right there with you, and I think that that's such a good point that you bring up. Like, earlier in the year, I actually wound up downgrading Ohio State a little bit after they knocked off Duke because they were down 16 points in that game with eight minutes left to go. They go on a Herculean run. They're able to get the win, but, I mean, they were getting blown out for much of that game. They didn't necessarily look so great. Meanwhile, a team like Iowa State was up double figures at the... I would say like 10 or so minute mark of the second half against Oklahoma. They wind up being on the wrong end of something like a 14 to zero run in the final six minutes. I'm not going to downgrade them at all because I take a look at that stretch and you got to figure, okay, that was a little bit less than the norm. And I think a big thing of it as well is just taking a look at what a team has done overall for the season. Like with SMU, for instance, a team has blown a whole heck of a lot of double digit leads. I will downgrade them when they wind up blowing it. Meanwhile, a team like Iowa State that hasn't had a track record of doing that, I'm not going to do it after just one blown lead. Yeah, for sure. And you got to look at spots, too. Oklahoma, home run spot for them. Iowa State was in their second road game. You can give them a bit of a pass for that. And you see a bunch of people, mainly in the media, I would say, overreact to one-game sample sizes, right? It's like, oh, this team sucks now after one game. The knee-jerk reactions are all over the place. As betters, you see the whole picture, see the body of work of a team. Certainly raise them if they're trending the right way or downgrade them if they're trending a poor way but seeing the whole body work and not overreacting to just one result is key human beings in general are just people that like to <laughs> overreact in general it doesn't oh, yeah. matter whether it's sports whether it be your favorite restaurant what have you you're always gonna find it so i'm right there with you guys we do have kai mckeon of the three man we've joined me right here on the podcast and kai when it comes to monday it's not like we've got the most rambunctious slate in the world but i do think that this oregon versus oregon state game is very intriguing i'm taking a look at a total of 140 and a half to 141 and I really like this game under with Oregon State, not a team that is necessarily looking to push a tempo. Same goes for Oregon. Both of these teams, shall we say, have not been great on offense. And I do think that Oregon is going to be able to get online. Them being between a six to six and a half point favorite, I think is relatively in line. I want to say my line personally at seven, but what do you think of this game? Because obviously you've got two teams that wound up going to the Sweet 16 last year. And shall we say, they have not lived up to that this year. Yeah, I agree with you. Under, I think, is my best play in this game. The line is pretty much what I'd make it as well. Whereas I think Oregon should be a lot better in the near future. I'm kind of in a wait and see with them right now. And Oregon State, we've seen them bounce back a little bit last couple of games. But they've been off for a while, like almost a month, I believe. And handicapping these teams coming out of the pause is kind of a crapshoot but the under seems like a great play in my opinion i will probably be on that as well yeah i do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game i was very surprised when i wound up seeing this total not in the 130 so i'll probably be dishing that out for the new york post and i've got to ask your opinion on this team because i know that you're out there in the midwest and we've got uic illinois chicago is actually going to be on the road in this one against iupui a team that I revere them as a bottom five team in all of college basketball. I'm sure that you don't have them much higher if you have them outside the bottom five. But when you take a look at this IEPUI team, 
Is there any trusting them as either a seven-point underdog or for them to be able to do enough to be able to get the over here? Because I take a look at this team, and they've yet to score 60 points against a D1 opponent all year long, and I don't think that this is a spot that they'll do it. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not sure they didn't over all year. So I, I probably wouldn't do that, but strangely, I kind of lean towards them. I, I know UIC is in big trouble with personnel right now. I'm surprised that Makers opened this at only 7.5. That was kind of disappointing to me because I was hoping for a big number for IUPUI. Not that I like that team at all. I think they suck. They're one of the worst teams in the country by far. But UIC has a lot of guys missing, and I don't think they're a world beater by any means. So strangely, I'm leaning towards the dog. Who knows if I have the nuts to actually take it, though. Yeah, it's been really, really grody when it comes to good old Iwi-Piwi, putting the in IAPUIS. We do have Kai McKean joining me on the podcast. And Kai, it's not necessarily the world's biggest slate for Monday, but we obviously do have the SoCon in play, the good old SWAC at Patriot Lake. They're going to be doing battle as well. Is there anything that's really standing out to you that you might wind up firing on? Not particularly yet. I'm still kind of going through the slate. I love betting on the SoCon in general, so I'm looking at that Wofford-UNC-Greensboro game. I'm surprised it spreads in favor of Wofford by three. I'm probably looking to bet the Spartans there, but got to run a couple more numbers, I think. Yeah, it's certainly going to be fascinating to take a look at that one. You've got just a lot of good action out there in the SoCon in general, and I know that you guys over there at the three-man weave, you cover a little bit of everything. You guys do a great job with regards to your Field of 68 show, which, like I said, right around five or so times a week. I know you guys always beam out the schedule on a week-in and week-out basis for that, and I know that you guys have a lot of irons in the fire and do a great job. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general. Yeah, we are uh, at 3MW underscore CBB. Two podcasts per week, one's with Action Network, one's ours, and then an almost daily show with Field of 68. It's a a betting show. comes around around noon central during the week, 10-15 on weekends. That's basically it, but that Twitter handle is where you can find everything. And Kai and all the other men over there at the three, man, we've doing absolutely tremendous work whenever they've joined the podcast. They bring the goods, and today, Kai was able to do that. So, big thanks, Kai McKeon, for joining me right here on Coast Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis for every single game on the college basketball betting board for this Monday as we hit some bank shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Las Vegas for Dogecoin Soups with myself, Craig Eves Years, and now part of the Veasan Family Podcast. Always a pleasure to have any of the gentlemen of the three-man weave on the podcast. Today was Kai McKeon who wound up joining me. Those guys do absolutely terrific work over there at the Field of 68. A lot of those guys join VEASAN quite often as well and always bring it on this podcast. So, big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenSquarty1. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first, and then the games with six digits are going to be at the bottom. The games at the bottom involve teams that come from like the Patriot League, the Big South, the SWAC, the MEAC, so just a real small conferences and pass edits in relative time order. As we begin with 871, 872 on the banking board, Wofford is going to be in the road faceoff against UNC Greensboro. UNCG is finding themselves anywhere between 2.5 and, and 3-point home underdogs. Seeing a straight two out there as well. So this game is 125.5, and I wound up saying my total at 128. You do have a Greensboro team that does rank in the bottom 30 with regards to possessions per game, and Wofford is relatively slow, but Wofford is a very efficient offensive team. Meanwhile, you take a look at Greensboro, and they're a team that they don't necessarily generate a lot of steals, but they do turn the ball over 15 times per game, and I do think that Wofford is going to be able to generate a quite a few steals of their on it. They get right around 8 per contest, so didn't wind up giving Wofford the edge of 4 points here. Got a guy in Ryan Larson for this Wofford team that shooting 39.5% from 3, 4.2 assists, 9.5 points per game on just 1.7 turnovers per game. Max Kleesmith is someone I do like. He's been able to chip in there right around 16 points per game, shooting about 34% from 3-point range. Has been able to give the team 15 plus points in 4 of the team's last 5. BJ Mack has been a Mack truck, 14.5 points, 5 boards, and Isaac Bigelow has been able to step up, been able to give the team six rebounds per game. Messiah Jones has been out of the fold, so that has hurt this team quite a bit. And then you take a look at this UNC Greensboro team, and they were dealing with an injury to Caleb Hunter. He is now back to the fold. That should be able to help this team on offense. He had 15 points in his first game back against VMI, but Greensboro is only getting about 25% three-point shooting out of him. It's really DeMonte Buckingham and everyone else. Buckingham shooting 42% from distance, 13.5 points, eight rebounds, one and a half assists per game. Really past Buckingham. You don't have a single guy giving you more than 8.8 points per game. You've got one other guy that gives you more than five and a half rebounds per game. You do have Kyrie Thompson. So they will give you those five and a half boards, shooting 50% from three, but it's giving the team three points for fear in three of their last five games. So I do think that Wofford should be able to control this game. I did wind up saying them as a four-point favorite. I anticipate a little bit of late game falling. Greensboro at the free throw line. They shoot right around 72.2% as a collective. Wofford 74.5%. So we'll delay up to four year with Wofford and take a look at the over as well. Got no money to be made on this game. 873-874 Northern Kentucky and Wright State has been postponed since there's no money to be made, we just move on. 875-876 on the banking board. Western Carolina. It's a road faceoff against East Tennessee State. East Tennessee State is finding themselves as a 9.5 point favorite in your tallest game and between 148 and 148.5. Pretty much the way I handicapped this is anything of single digits. So 9.5 or less, I was willing to lay it because I made my number 10. So this is pretty much a max that I'm willing to lay, but I'm willing to lay it here with East Tennessee State. When you take a look at this bunch, they do have David Sloan out there. I really like he's been able to give the team a little bit over four assists. Has turned the ball 
over three times per game. That's a little bit of an issue, but shoots 42% from three. Overall, East Tennessee State shoots 73.3% of the line, 34% from three. They've done a good job in step-up games. They were able to get that win on the road against Georgia. In that multi-team event, they were able to knock down Missouri State along with Kent State. So this is a bunch that they've been able to have some pretty quality results so far this year. Meanwhile, you take a look at Western Carolina and a little bit of a new regime this season, but you do have Nick Robinson, who winds up coming in from Valparaiso, and he's been terrific for the team. A little bit over 15 points, 7 boards, shooting 37% from 3, and overall, Western Carolina shoots 35.5% from 3. Problem is, they only generate right around 5.5 steals per game. They turn the ball over 14 times, and they shoot 66.7% at the free throw line. You're going to need to get a little bit more out of someone like Avantreus Woolbright, who has been able to give the team right in the neighborhood about 9.5 points and 6 rebounds per game, but he turns the ball over a little bit over 3 times per contest, so that's a little bit of an issue. Had 7 turnovers in their last game against Sam Iamford. The loss of Travion McCray is also big. He's the number two scorer for the team with 11.5 points per game. Has not played ever since the team's loss against Georgia just before Christmas, so him being out of the fold, that hurts the team, and you really don't have a lot of rebounding outside of Woolbright along with Robinson. Nobody else gives you more than 4.9 rebounds per game as you have Marlo Gilmore who's been able to do that, but he's been someone that has missed a little bit of time due to injury as well. And then you take a look at this East Tennessee State Punch. You do have the Brewers in Ladarius and Ty Brewer. These two guys combined to be able to give you 22 points per game, right around 12 boards. You've got Ladarius shooting about 33% from three-point range, so they've been able to do a rock-solid job there, and they combine for about two and a half steals per game, and then Jordan King has been able to shoot 40% from three, giving this team two and a half assists, 11 and a half points per game. I do think that East Tennessee State going to be able to control this game. Now, East Tennessee State, a bottom 50 team with regards to possessions per game, Western Carolina, they rank in the top 50, so I do think that you're going to get something in the middle, but I do think that you are going to have a little bit of a lower scoring game, just because I do think that the three-point arc is going to be guarded, and with Western Carolina going through some injuries, I think that they're going to struggle a little bit with their tempo, so want to lay up to 10 here with East Tennessee State, taking a look at them, and set the total at 144, so diving under. 877-878 on the betting board. Iwi Pui, IUPUI, is going to be playing us to UIC. Illinois Chicago, a 7 to 7.5 point favorite, and your tolerance game anywhere between 124.5 and 125.5. IUPUI against C1 competition has yet to get to 60 points this year. There's just no taking overs with this team because I mean, you can't bank on them being able to do anything for you whatsoever. The last five games, they scored 45 points against Oakland, 44 against Tennessee State, 55 against Chicago State, 52 against Morehead State, and their high watermark, 58 points against a right State team that's in the top 40 with regards to possessions per game, and this is a UIC team that's not looking to gun it. I mean, you take a look at this team, and B.J. Maxwell has really been the heart and soul of this team. He has been able to chip in there 11.5 points per game. He is the only guy on the roster averaging more than 6.5 points per game, and he's been in a funk recently with single digits in three out of the last four games. Iwi Pui is shooting 27% from three, 65% in the free throw line, with 17.5 turnovers per game, despite the fact that they play at one of the slower tempos in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, you take a look at UIC, and they're coming off of a little bit of a postponement, but I mean, even with that, I feel comfortable laying up to nine here with them. Demaria Franklin has come in from Tennessee Tech, and he's been great. 16.5 points, eight boards per game, able to give you a steal per contest, and has shipped in there 17 plus points in four of the team's last five games. Overall, UIC, they shoot 30% from three, 65% in the free throw line, but they're not IUPUI, so their offense is already a whole lot better to do that. And you've got Kevin Johnson, someone who comes in from Nichols, has been able to give this team 12 points per game, right around six assists. Not a guy that's necessarily lighting it up from three-point range, but has been able to give the team 14 plus points in three of the last four games. Down low, it's not necessarily the world's greatest thing for the team, but Michael Diggins, able to give you six and a half points, four and a half rebounds per game. And when it comes to IUPUI, you just get no rebounding out of this team either. Maxwell, right now, leading the way with five rebounds per game. You just need someone 
anyone to be able to step up, whether it be like Bakari Lestrap, who's been able to give you five and a half points per game. He's went off for 11 points in each of the last two games, but I'm going to lay up to nine here with UIC. There's just no taking an over of north of like 120 points with IEPY until they show something. Set the soil at 119 and a half, so diving under and laying the points. We've got 879, 880, a postponed game between our good friend Sacramento State and Northern Arizona. No money to be made here, so we move on. 881, 882 on the banging board. South Dakota is going to be hitting the road to face off against North Dakota. North Dakota is finding themselves a 4.5 to a 5.5 point home underdog. In your Toronto's game, you're going to be finding it at a 146.5. And when it comes to North Dakota, I have very much soured on this team because this is a bunch of which they wound up losing to Oman. Just got absolutely plowed in that game. I wound up saying South Dakota as an 11.5 point favorite. Now, when it comes to the South Dakota team, I do recognize that they're not necessarily the world's greatest team. But with that said, I do think that even without AJ Pleasewit, they've got more than enough in the backcourt to be able to take down this really, really bad North Dakota team. When it comes to North Dakota, your best player for this team has been Mr. Paul Burns. He has been able to give the team right around 12-ish points per game. He's actually been able to do a relatively solid job recently. As you take a look at it, and he has shipped in there 15-plus points in five of the team's last six games, shooting 30 Eight and a half percent from three-point range, but you take a look at these defensive efforts from North Dakota. They gave up 93 points to Denver, 98 points to Oma, 86 points to North Dakota State. These are bad offenses that he, they're giving up 85 plus two. Meanwhile, you take a look at South Dakota, and boy, oh boy, it's been a little bit tough for them on offense. But I do like what you're able to get out of Cruz Petio Hunt, who's been able to give you 13 and a half points per game overall. South Dakota not great at the free throw line; they shoot right around 71 percent. So I mean, it could be worse, could be better. The big thing, though, even though as a collective, they're not great. They do shoot 875% each other top four scorers do, so the top end guys, they are able to hit their free throws. You've got Xavier Fuller who's able to give you 13 points, five boards per game. You've got Tezus Camateros, who's been able to give you right around eight and a half points, five boards. Six foot eight gentleman from Greece has been able to shoot 36.5% from three-point range, and it's given the team a little bit of facilitation as well. A combined nine assists in the last three games has cut down on the turnovers, so that's big South Dakota. Only right around 11 and a half turnovers per game. Meanwhile, you take a look at North Dakota, they're actually not a terrible three-point shooting team. They shoot 33% from three, 73% the free throw line. Problem is they just can't guard their own shadow, so that has been a little bit of an issue, but you've got neither of these teams necessarily playing up-tempo. I do think that South Dakota going to be able to rein it in a little bit with their defense with North Dakota. you got one guy that's averaging more than five rebounds per game, Sonsei Sarzizdeh. He comes in from the country of Georgia with right around 5.3 bars per game, so I do think that you're going to have a lot of one-and-dones, and Caleb Nero going to be out of the fold for North Dakota as well, so I do wind up saying South Dakota is an 11.5 point favorite. There's just no trusting in North Dakota until I see otherwise. Said this out at 143.5 as well. I think that the slower tempo is going to cause for a little bit of a lower scoring game. So diving under and willing to lay it here with South Dakota. 883-884 on the betting board. UMKC is going to be playing us Oma. Oma set hike is finding themselves as a 10.5 to an 11 point underdog. And your total on this game is between 141 and 141.5. Seeing a straight 140 out there at DraftKings as well. And when it comes to this total, I set it at a 133. You've got an Oma team that has been playing let's call it what it is. Really no defense whatsoever, but at the same time, this is a bunch of which they have been able to do a tad bit better with regards to their offense, but I think that we're going to see a little bit of regression with that regard because for Oma, you really don't have that guy that's able to take things over, and you've got a UMKC bunch that they rank in the top 50 with regards to slowest teams in all of college basketball. Evan Gilliard, right around 13 points per game, shooting 42.5% from three-point range. You've got someone in Anderson Cup, winds coming in from Lamar, right around 10 points, three and a half boards. He's been shooting 45% from three-point range. 
range. Big key for this team is that Josiah Alec has missed a few games. Looks like he's going to be good to go in this one. A guy that's able to give you 12 plus points in now four of the team's last five games. You do have to recognize that UMKC has had a little bit of a tough time getting out there on the floor. Last time they wound up playing was December 22nd, but even with that pause, you've got an Omaha team that even though they get out there, it's as if they aren't out there because they are not playing a whole heck of a lot of defense whatsoever. Felix Lametti has been able to give you 10.5 points per game. And for Omaha, they do shoot as a collective 33% from three, 73% the free throw line, but 14 turnovers per game, relatively tough. You don't have a single guy that's giving you more than five rebounds per game. That would be Kyle Lutke with his eight points and 4.9 rebounds per game. That's him. Among healthy players, nobody else gives you more than 3.9 rebounds per game as you've got Mr. Akul Arap who's been able to do that. But I do take a look at this UMKC bunch. I do think that they're going to be able to control this game. They shoot right around 36% as a collective from three-point range, 12 turnovers per game. They do a good job of really being able to slow down the tempo. So, so that's the total at 133. And I'm willing to lay up to 15 with UMKC. Omaha is a bottom 20 team in all of college basketball. I think that they just get waxed in the spot. So one to lay here with UMKC and taking a look at the under 885, 886 on the betting board. Denver is going to be playing us in North Dakota State. The Bison find themselves anywhere between six and seven point favorites. And your total on this game is 140.5. I wound up setting this at seven. At a seven, I will be starting to take a look at Denver before I'd be willing to lay it with North Dakota State. But I'm looking to lay that six right now. When it comes to North Dakota State, I do think that Rocky Cruiser is going to be able to take over this game. 14.5 points, right around eight boards per game, shooting 40% for three point range. Reason why I say I would rather take a seven before I'd be willing to lay a seven is just because you do have a North Dakota State team that they do rank in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game. So they are a relatively slow team. And for Denver, they've been able to figure a little bit of something out. Mikey N is someone that's in six foot eight. He's been able to give you nine and a half points, four boards, shooting 39% per three. Overall, Denver shooting 35.5% per three. That's relatively respectable. They do turn the ball over 14 times per game, but North Dakota, this team does not generate seals. Only about four per contest. One of the worst marks out there in all of college basketball. Now, Tyree Eady has been able to up his game. Eight and a half points, right around five and a half boards, three assists per game. So he's really been able to come through recently. 13 plus points in four of the team's last five games. Now, he has turned the ball over seven times in the last two games as well. That is a little bit of an issue for Denver. Their big issue, rebounding. You have been able to get right around four and a half rebounds per game. Peyton Moore has been able to give you more with that aspect as well. But you do take a look at what you're able to get out of this North Dakota State team as well. And Sam Greasel, ever since he wanted coming back, he has been a grizzly bear for this team out there in the backcourt. A guy that's able to give you 10 points, five rebounds, three assists. So he just does a little bit of everything for this team. Wound up having 10 rebounds in the team's last game. So he has been able to come through in a big way. Like I said, at seven, I'd be willing to take it a little bit more than I'd be willing to lay it with North Dakota State. But at the six I'm seeing right now, Certainly willing to lay it when they're at the Dakota State because I wound up setting my line at a 7 myself. So looking to lay a 6. And with this total, I set mine at a 126. You've got a Denver team that hasn't necessarily been great on offense until they played against some really, really bad competition. North Dakota State always looks to be able to slow things down. So I set this total at 126. I'm willing to dive under. And I'm willing to lay pretty much up to 6.5, we're going to call it, with North Dakota State. 887, 888 on the betting board. San Diego is going to be hitting the road face off against Pepperdine. The Waves are finding themselves with between two and a half and three point favorites. So your total on this game, you're getting it at a 140 to a 140 and a half and so my total at 131. You've got a San Diego team that has been really playing at one of the slower tempos in all of college basketball and Pepperdine. Unlike in past years, this is not a team that is playing at a breakneck pace whatsoever. They are ranking more around like 180th in the country with regards to possessions per game and this is just an inexperienced backcourt for Pepperdine. You do have a guy in Hunter Mallet who's been able to give you 12 points per game, been able to shoot 38% from three point range, but you take a look at the San Diego team and after they wound up having that huge win against Nevada, things have really hit the fan for this team. They've got Jace Townsend, who has been dealing 
dealt an injury, one of their top scorers, a guy that's shooting 47% from three, has not played in a month. Joey Calcaterra has been dealing with some ailments as well, was out there for that San Francisco game, was able to give the team 11 points, but he has scored four points or fewer in now three of the team's last five games as well. Marcellius Aaron Lincoln, give him some credit, he shoots 41% from three, but this is a San Diego team that, like four games ago, they were shooting about 40% from three, they're now shooting 37%, so I mean, it's going lower and lower now. What I will say for this team is that down low, Terrell Brown, when he's been out there, has been solid. He has been able to give the team right around three blocks per game, but he's given the team a combined three blocks in the last three games, so his effectiveness has really dipped as well. This is just a team that, in general, they are going down, 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 and then you take a look at Pepperdine, and well, they wound up getting blasted by Gonzag a couple days ago, but that's going to happen to a lot of teams. Keith Fisher, the 30s, was able to give the team right around eight and a half points, six and a half rebounds per game. He's been able to do a solid job. Got a 39% three-point shooter, and Mike Mitchell Jr., who, as a true freshman, has really been able to step up 11-plus points in three of the team's last five games now. He's also scored zero in two out of the last five, so you're able to look at that one of two ways, but I do think that Jan Zidek and his 12.5 points per game is going to be able to carry the day for Pepperdine. He has been able to give the team 11-plus points and at least four rebounds in each of the team's last four games with a steal in every one of those games as well, so I do think that Pepperdine is going to take it to a San Diego team that has really seen one of the bigger drop-offs from the beginning of the season of any team that I've witnessed San Diego just not putting the ball in the basket right now, so I did wind up saying this total at 131. I'm willing to take a look at an under in this spot, and when it comes to Pepperdine, I'm willing to lay up to five because San Diego, I feel like their metrics are a little bit off and are starting to regress. So I'm going to lay here with Pepperdine, and I'm going to be taking a look at an under. And the New York Post play today is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games. 889, 890 on the betting board. Oregon, it's a road to face off against Oregon State. The old Civil War sees Oregon State a 6 to 6 half point home underdog. John's game is saying we're team 140 and a half at 141. I set my total at 127, and that's where I'm looking with the New York Post play, the under, because you've got an Oregon team that ranks right around 80th in the country with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis but on the road, they are in the bottom 10 in all of college basketball. They have been hellaciously terrible away from Eugene with regards to putting the ball in the basket at Oregon State. They are outside the top 50 themselves. When it comes to this Oregon State team, you had Gerard Lucas being able to give you right around 14 points per game. Uh, that shoots 43% from three-point range at 24 plus points each out of the team's last three games. Do you really think that that's going to keep up? Because I don't think so. Oregon State, they shoot 67% of the free throw line, 31.5% from three-point range. You've had war with Alatiche, who's been able to give you right around six and a half rebounds per game, but he's the only guy on the team that gives you more than 4.3 rebounds per game. And really, other than your main facilitator and Deshaun Davis, who's able to give you nine points, four and a half rebounds, and 4.9 assists per game. These are the only two guys that give you at least three rebounds per game. They're going to get bludgeoned on the glass. When it comes to Oregon, this is not necessarily a team that does a terrific job on the glass themselves. Quincy Garrier right now leading the way. Five boards, eight points per game, but I think that Infali Dante is going to be able to eat down low. Eight points, five boards. He's able to give you right around a block per game. You take a look at Oregon, and they shoot 66% of the free throw line, 35% from three. I think that you're going to see just a whole bunch of sloppy possessions in this game. Now, I will say for Oregon, if Rivaldo Soros is able to figure it out, that's going to be very big for this team. He's been seeing more minutes. Hasn't necessarily taken them and ran with them, though. Shooting 24% from three, six foot six combo players, shooting 65% of the free throw line with his six points per game. Now, Will Richardson shooting 45% from distance, 13 and a half points per game with three and a half assists. That has been rock solid. Davian Harmon, along with Jacob Young, are both giving you eight points per game, but Eric Williams Jr., ever since he 
wound up suffering an ailment. He hasn't been the same. He has scored a combined five points in the last four games. I don't think either of these teams are going to be approaching 70 in this game. I think that you're going to have a very sloppy game, but I do think that Oregon is going to be able to pull out the cover just because I think that they're going to bludgeon Oregon State on the glass. Willing to lay up to 70 here with the Ducks. I just trust in the coaching a little bit more as well with Dana Altman rather than Wayne Tinkle. So, willing to lay up to 70 here with Oregon. And like I said, New York Post play of the day. We're going with the under. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. We go in Las Vegas rotation order with these as well. This begins with 306-091, 306-092. Winthrop is going to be playing us the Campbell. The Fighting Camels are finding themselves and we're between four and four and a half point underdogs in your Talons game. Saying we're between 136 and 136 and a half. I set this line at six. I do think that Campbell is going to do a good job of being able to slow down this game. Campbell ranks in the bottom 25 with regards to possessions per game. You take a look at Winthrop and they have throttled down a little bit recently as well, but what I think is going to win the day for Winthrop is Mr. DJ Turn It Up Burns. In 21 and a half minutes per game, 17 points and five boards with regards to offensive efficiency on a permanent basis. One of the better players in all of college basketball. Winthrop, they shoot a combined 37 0.7% from three-point range with Corey Hightower and Patrick Good combined to be able to shoot 44% from distance. These two guys combined for about 23.5 points, 9 rebounds, and 2.6 steals per game. So I do like what you're able to get there. And you've got a returner from last year, Michael Anumba, who has been very, very versatile for the team. He's been able to give the team right around 7 points, 4.5 rebounds, has been able to shoot 38% from three-point range. And for Campbell, I do think that they're going to do a good job of being able to throttle things down. Asus Cavalero has been able to do a solid job at the point guard spot. 11 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists. This has been a little bit of a banged up Campbell team, but fortunately for Campbell, they do have quite a bit of depth to be able to absorb that. You do have a guy in Jordan Whitfield who wound up missing a little bit of time, and since he's come back, hasn't necessarily looked like himself, but still a guy that's able to give you nine and a half points per game. Shoots in the mid 30s from three point range. Both Campbell, this is a team that has a collective, and shoot 29.9% from three point range out of your top five scores. Nobody shoots above 32.7% from distance, but you do have a lot of guys giving you between, I would say, 8.2 and 12 points per game as each of the team's top five scores are all in that realm, and you do wind up getting a lot out of Ricky Clemens as well. 10.7 points, 6 rebounds, 2.5 assists. Not a great 3-point shooter, but does a good job of being able to stuff the stat sheet, so I think that Campbell's going to be able to hang in there. I think that they're going to get their tempo, but I do think that Winthrop just has a little bit too much stop and talent to not cover this game. Set this line at 6, so one will lay here with Winthrop. Made the total 132 as well, so we're going to be diving under. 306-093, You've got Army, and they're going to be hitting the road face off against Colgate. The Raiders of Colgate are finding themselves as a favorite of seven points in your tallest game, saying we're team 152.5 and 153.5. I just must not be buying into Army at this point because I set the slide more around a 14. And when it comes to Colgate, what I think is very big for this team is that Nelly Cummings is now back and he is coming around with his offense. 17.5 points per game, returned in that game against Lee and didn't look like he really skipped a beat. 16 points, four assists, four rebounds overall, shooting 48% from three point range with three and a half assists per game. So he is absolutely terrific. And for Army, this team is really terrible at the free throw line. They shoot 61.1%, and that's up from where it was before. Jalen Rucker and Josh Caldwell, this is a good duo. They're able to give you 29 points, 9.5 rebounds, a little bit over 5.5 assists, three steals per game, but what are you going to be able to get outside of that? Got a great name in Charlie Peterson, 8.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per game, but you're looking to someone like an Aaron Duhart who's been able to give you 6 points, shooting 43% from 3, but not necessarily as effective in big bursts. And then for Colgate, Keegan Rucker, Selma, has been able to do a solid job, 8 points, 6 rebounds, 
rebounds, one and a half blocks per game. Overall, Colgate shoots 39 and a half percent from three point range, 72 percent at the line. They don't force a lot of seals, but they don't turn the ball over a lot themselves. Colgate actually a very mid tempo team. They're not a team that's necessarily looking to play overly fast, which is why I did wind up setting my total at 152 and a half, seeing the 153 and a half. I'm going to be diving under when it comes to Colgate, right around like 170th, 180th with regards to possessions per game. But I do think that Ryan Moffitt going to be an X factor in this game. Nine points, five and a half rebounds, shoots 41 percent from three point range. So he has certainly been able to deliver the good seven seals in the team's last three games as well. So I take a look at the backcourt of Colgate. They should be able to win against an Army team that I'm going to call what it is. Not necessarily doing a great job with regards to the little things being disciplined. So we'll want to lay it here with Colgate. Set them as a double digit favorite. And with the total made at 152 and a half. So here at 153 and a half. Diving under 306, 095, 306, 096. You've got Lehigh and they're going to be playing us a Cross. Holy Cross. Oops, it not be wholly awful as between five and a half and six point underdogs in your total on scheme. Finding it out of 140 and when it comes to Lehigh, made them an 11 and a half point favorite. It seems like I like the favorites here in the Patriot League because you've got a Holy Cross team that I'd evaluate them as a bottom 20 team in all of college basketball. You take a look at Holy Cross and they do shoot 35% from three-point range. You've got Kyrell Luch, who's been able to give you right around 12 points, two assists, shooting 40% from three-point range. And Darrell Gates, down low, has been able to do a good job. 13 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds. Recently, he's really been able to up his game as he has given the team 14 plus points in four of the team's last five games. So you do give them some credit there, but for Holy Cross, 14 turnovers per game. They do a poor job on defense as a collective nine and a half assists per game. So there's a lot of isolation there. And then you take a look at Lei, and you've been able to have the one Wilson that is still out there because Marquise Wilson is dealing with an injury after he was averaging 10 points per game, but Jamero Wilson, 12 points per game, shooting 41% from three-point range. You got some good versatility with Nick Lynch as well. He's six foot eleven, buries 38 and a half percent of his threes, has been able to give the team six plus rebounds in three of the team's last four games. So he is starting to emerge for this bunch. And then your top scorer in Evan Taylor has been able to give the team 13 points, five and a half boards, shooting 34 and a half percent from three-point range with 13 plus points in now four of the teams last five games as well. So I do like his overall game. Lee is a collective. They shoot 72% of the free throw line. They themselves turn the ball over 15 times per game, but they do a good job with right around four blocks per game down low. I do think that they're going to be able to win with that aspect. And then Dominic Perlin is able to give you five and a half boards, six points per game, does a good job down low. So I do think that Lee going to be able to win from within with this one. Holy Cross, not necessarily a blazer. You've got a pair of teams that they are quite sloppy with the ball. So set this little 135 and a half. I'm willing to dive under. And with Lee I want to lay up to 11 and a half with them. So laying the Points 306 0987 Loyola of Maryland is going to be playing us to Puckdale. The bracket bus and bison are a seven point underdog in your total on game. You're going to be finding it at between a 142 and a half and 144. And when it comes to Bucknell, I want to saying them as an eight and a half point underdog. When it comes to Loyola of Maryland, they've got Cameron Spencer, who has been absolutely supreme for this team 18 and a half points, four and a half boards. Shooting only about 31% from three, but 19 plus points in each of the team's last three games. So what is really impressive about him, 3.8 assists to one turnover per contest. So he does a good job of not giving the ball away. Meanwhile, Bucknell, they commit right around 14 turnovers per game now. They shoot 79% the free throw line, 35% from three. And then you've got the Funk, Andrew Funk. 18 points, 2.5 assists, bearing 34% of his threes. Xander Rice is able to give you 3.5 assists, 12 points per contest, and you do have Andre 3000 screen back in the fold. Guy that's able to give you 10.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, and a block per game. So he is going to be a big force figuratively and literally in this game has given the team double figures in four of the team's last five games. But for Loyola Maryland, Golden DK is able to give this team right around 7 rebounds, only about 4 points per game, but a good designated rebounder. You've got a mid 33 point shooter in Kenny Jones who's been able to emerge for this team recently. Double 
double figures in three of the team's last four games and five plus assists in four of the team's last five and at least four assists in every one of them as well. And then Jalen Andrews out there in the backcourt has done a nice job as well. Nearly two steals per game. He's been able to chip in there 12 plus points in four of the team's last five games and 17 plus points in four of the team's last six. A guy that's bearing right around 39% of his threes. I think that Loyal Maryland is going to do a better job in the backcourt now. They do turn the ball over 16 times per game, but I think Cam Spencer has a little bit more of a floor general. I think it's going to be a good elixir to this, winding up making Loyola Maryland an 8.5 point favorite as a result, so I'm willing to lay it. Got a Bucknell team that they're playing relatively up-tempo Loyola Maryland as well, and quite frankly, neither of these teams is playing a whole lot of defense, so set the total at 149. I'm willing to take the over, and I'm willing to lay it here with Loyola Maryland. 306-099, 306-100. American is going to be playing us at Boston U. Boston U is a 7-7.5 point favorite. You're this game. And between 133 and 134.5. For Boston U, I did wind up making them a favorite of more around seven points in this spot. So it's going to be a case in which I'm going to be willing to take a 7F when it comes to American. Now with American, the danger that you have with this team is that they've had a couple postponed games. They wound up playing on the 1st of January and past that. They haven't necessarily been able to get out there in Patriot League play, but I do think that Stacey Becton Jr. is going to be able to do some good things in this contest. A guy that's been able to give you 13.5 points, shooting 35.5% from three. Now American, as a collective, they shoot a little bit over 66% of the free throw line, 32% from three-point range, but Johnny O'Neal, he buries 40% of his threes, 10 points, 5 rebounds, has some good versatility at right around six foot nine. so I think that he's going to be a little bit of a game-breaker in this one, just as a collective. American, not necessarily too bad on the glass. You don't have that one guy that's just a supreme rebounder, but you're able to get right around four and a half boards per game out of Matt Rogers as well. Mr. Rogers has been in the neighborhood of five-plus rebounds in each of the team's last three games, a guy that's been able to cut down on the turnovers as well. And you take a look at Boston U, and Boston U is a team that they can get sloppy with it from time to time, right around 13 and a half turnovers a game. Javante McCoy shot 49% from three, 16 and a half points. He has been tremendous. And then Walter White is back in the full 12 and a half points, six and a half rebounds. And that is White spelled with a Y in it, not the guy from Breaking Bad. But he has not been too bad with regards to hitting the glass, at least six rebounds in each of the team's last five games. So he's been able to do a solid job there. He's in support of Sukhmail Mathan. He's been able to give this team 14 points, nine and a half rebounds down low. But you do take a look at this Boston U team. They are able to shoot very well at the free throw line, 75.2% each out of your top five scores should at least 72% at the charity stripe, so that's big, but having Nevin Zink out of the fold has hurt the team as well. Ethan Britton-Watts is someone that has returned to the team, but has given the team approximately three points in his last three games. A guy that last year was able to shoot 47.5% from three-point range has been in a little bit of a funk, so I do think that this is a good spot at home for American to be able to hang in there, willing to take 7.5 with them as I set my line at 7, and when it comes to total, set it at a 129.5. Boston U in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game. American has an necessary been efficient on offense either. So, taking a look at the under, and we'll take 7.5 here with American. 306-101, 306-102. You've got Lafayette, and the Leopards are going to be playing us in Navy. Navy's a 7.5 point favorite, and your Toronto's game is anywhere between 135 and 135.5. Made Navy more around a 5.5 point favorite, so I'm going to be taking a look at the points when it comes to Lafayette. Keep in mind, Lafayette already has went on the road and knocked off Rutgers. Now, that's a little bit of a fluky result, but the guy that I think is going to be able to keep this team alive, Neil Quinn. 7-footer that is very versatile. 12.5 points, 8 rebounds. He's able to pop a couple threes as well, which I find to be very, very surprising, but you take a look at this guy's overall game, being able to give out four assists as a true seven-footer is absolutely tremendous. Lafayette has actually been able to do a solid job of taking care of the ball, right around 12 and a half turnovers 
game. They shoot 72.5% free throw line, 33.5% from three-point range. You've got Leo O'Boyle, and O'Boyle rules because he's been able to give the team 10 points per game, shooting over 80% at the free throw line, so he's been able to pick it up a little bit recently after he went into a funk in which he wound up having eight points or fewer in three out of four games, wound up scoring double figures in the last one to be able to right the ship there. You take a look at what you're able to get out of the backcourt along with them, and Tyrone Perry has been a guy that stood out to me right around three assists, four boards, shooting 39% from three-point range, has given the team at least 13 points in each of the team's last three games, has done a good job of not turning the ball over as well, three turnovers in the last three games, and then you take a look at Navy, and this is a team that they look to generate steals, this is a bunch that they get right around seven and a half per contest, despite being a bottom 50 team with regards to possessions per game, got a 47% three-point shooter in Jalen Walker, so they will give you seven points, four and a half rebounds, but the two lifebloods of this team, John Carter Jr. and Greg Summers. Summers gives you 10 and a half points, five and a half boards, two and a half assists per game, and then Carter is the main three-point shooter. Summers has yet to hit a three this year. Carter shoots 43% from three. It will give you 14 points, four boards. These two guys combine for about two and a half steals per game, so maybe they will do a nice job there. You're able to get right around five boards per game out of Tyler Nelson, but you don't necessarily have that frontline talent with Navy. Got a Navy bunch that they shoot 34% from three, 67.5% the free line. That could wind up coming into play in a game which has a little bit of late game felling, so we'll want to take the seven and a half here with Lafayette at this line at five and a half. And when it comes to Soto, set it at a 130 and a half. I think that it's going to be a relatively slow, relatively controlled game. So take a look at it under and we'll take the points here with Lafayette. 306-103, You've got Grambling hitting the road to face off against Florida A&M. Florida A&M between a four and four and a half point favorite and your total on this game, you're going to be finding it at a 135 to a 136. Made this total 133. You do have a Grambling team that ranks in the top 75 with regards to possessions per game. Florida A&M has always been a team that has looked to play it very slow and with Florida A&M, this is not a team that's going to be going out there and shooting three-point shots with regards to percentage of points that comes from three year in and year out. They're in the bottom 30 with that metric, but MJ Randolph, I do think he's going to be the best player out there on the floor, which is why I do wind up saying Florida A&M as a seven-point favorite. How about 19 and a half points, six and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, 2.3 steals per game, ultimate Swiss Army knife guy. He shoots 37 and a half percent from three for a team that shoots as a collective 24.6% from three, but for Florida A&M, they get to the free throw line, and they shoot 73 and a half percent at the free throw line. They also generate right around seven and a half steals per game. I like what you've been able to get out of Bryce Mudanjay, who's been able to give you right around eight and a half points, seven rebounds, a little bit over a steal per game. He has been able to do a nice job recently down low, seven plus rebounds in three of the team's last five games. You do take a look at the flip side for Grambling. You do have Dana Kingsby, who's been able to come in from Bradley, and he's been able to do a solid job with Cam Christian. These two guys combined to be able to give you 21.6 points per game. They do wind up shooting about 41% as a collective, and for Grambling, among your top three scores, all of them shoot at least 71.8% the free throw line, but as a collective, they shoot 69% the charity stripe. You do have A.J. Taylor being able to give you six and a half rebounds per game, but you need a little bit more down low. They have been able to get a little bit more out of Amari McCray. He winds up coming in from Pacific, a guy that wound up having eight rebounds in the last game, but I don't think that he's going to be too much of a difference maker. Doesn't necessarily fit in with the offense either. And for Prince Boss, a guy that last year shot 46% from three-point range with nine and a half points per game, seen a dip in production. Six and a half points per game on 26% three-point shooting, six points or fewer in four out of the team's last five games. So I do give the edge here to Florida A&M as a result, rolling a layup to seven with them. I think the Florida A&M is going to be able to get their tempo as well. Set this total 133, so diving under. 306, 105-306, You've got Bethune Cookman playing against the Southern. Southern is a six to six and a half point favorite. Total on this game is 135 and a half. With Southern, I did wind up putting them as a seven and a half point favorite. You've got a little bit of a makeshift Bethune Cookman team because they wound up opting out of last season. And now they've got a new coach in Red G. Theos who's been able to do a good job of utilizing their star guard in Joe French 
French has been able to give this team 15 points. He's been able to bury about 39% of his threes. But overall, Bethune-Cookman, they shoot 29.5% from three-point range. They've been able to get a little bit more down low as they've been dealing with a couple injuries. And now they've got back out there Kevin Davis. Davis is someone that has come back in the last two games, 11 points in each out of the last two, and has been able to give the team a combined 23 rebounds in those games after having 26-13 against Florida A&M. So he has been dominating out there in the slack. But you take a look at Southern and they just do such a good job of being able to generate steals. 11 half per contest. They do turn the ball over 14 and a half times per game themselves, but top two scorers are combined to shoot about 44 and a half percent from three-point range in Tyrone Lyons and Brandon Whitney. These two guys combined to be able to give you 26 half points per game. They combine for three steals, and for that matter, each out of your top five scores for this Southern team are generating at least 1.3 steals per game. That is absolutely insane, and then you've been able to get right around five and a half rebounds per game down low out of Mr. Damian Series, who winds coming in from Nichols. He also gives you 1.8 steals per game, so it's a very good, well-balanced Southern team that shoots about 38.5% from three-point range. Yeah, only shoot right around 68.5% of the free throw line, but Bethune-Cookman, I don't think that they're going to be able to hit Southern where it hurts the most. That is down low. You've got right around 5.5 rebounds per game out of Dylan Robertson, but the rest of the backcourt with someone like Marcus Garrett who only gives you right around 9 points per game, shoots 30% from three-point range, so I'm going to be taking a look at Southern. We'll delay up to 7.5 when it comes to this, and total on this game, I made it a 132, so I'm going to be taking a look at an under, and I'm going to lay it here with Southern. I do think that they're going to force Bethune-Cookman into a lot of turnovers. As we move on to game number 306-107-306-108, South Carolina State is going to be playing us at Morgan State. Morgan State is a one-point underdog with your total on this game, 147.5. When it comes to Morgan State, South the men's a three-point favorite, so I'm going to be taking a look at the money line when it comes to Morgan State. They have been able to do a relatively solid job of getting their guards out there in space, but they just haven't had the same effectiveness from last year as they had from Detorian Ware. Ware last year was one of the top players in conference play in all of college basketball, quite honestly, averaging over 20 points per game in MEAC play thus far this year. Just 9.5 points, 3 boards per game. You do take a look at the fact that he wound up having 22 points, 8 boards, and 5 assists in the team's last game, and I do think that that's going to be able to get him going. You've been able to have 11 points per game out of Keith McGee. McGee is able to shoot 39% from 3-point range. Wound up missing the team's last game against a 91 foe, but got to think that he's going to be out there along with Legio Gretzen, who's been able to give you right in the neighborhood of about 9 points per game. A guy that's able to chip in there 5 boards per game as well. And you take a look at the flip side for South Carolina State. And this is a team that has been able to come along under the Madlocks. You've got TJ Madlock, the son of, I believe it is, Tony Madlock, the coach. And he's been able to do a solid job. 12 points, 5.5 rebounds, 3 assists as a true freshman. But for South Carolina State, 14.5 turnovers per game. They shoot 68% at the free throw line. Generate right around 7.5 steals per game. And you do have a guy, Ed Oliver Hampton, who comes in from Hampton. 8 points, 6 boards, shooting in the mid-30s from 3-point range. But you don't have a lot of outside shooting ability when it comes to this team for Morgan State. They only shoot about 30% for 3-point range. But I do think that that's going to be on the uptick. And I do think that Isaiah Burke, a guy that's been able shoot about 38% from distance coming off an 18-point game. Going to have a relatively effective one here. Got a pair of teams that rank in the top 25 with regards to possessions per game. Not necessarily doing a great job on defense. So I think that both teams are going to be looking to gun it. Set this total at 155. Looking at the over. And with Morgan State, willing to lay up to three with them. So take a look at them as a money line underdog. 306-109-306-110. Alabama A&M is going to be playing us to Jackson State. Jackson State is finding themselves a one and a half point favorite. Toronto's game is 119.5. I do think that the totals should be low. I couldn't go south of 120, though. I set this total more around to 124, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over when it comes to Jackson State. 
They rank right around 260th in the country with regards to possessions per game. Alabama A&M in the 200s, but a little bit higher. And for Alabama A&M, you've got a duo that's able to give you 29 points per game. Garrett Hicks along Jalen Johnson. Johnson's able to give you 7.5 rebounds per game. Hicks shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range out with Alabama A&M. They do shoot 28% from three-point range as a collective. They do give you 7.5 steals to right around 13.5 turnovers per game. Cameron Tucker, 6 points, 3.3 rebounds, 3.8 assists. He's been able to do a solid job at the point guard spot. But then you take a look at Jackson State, and they should be able to win the battle down low. As you got JVS McKinnis giving you 12.2 points, 10 rebounds per game. Gabe Watson has not shot it well from three-point range. Overall, Jackson State, they shoot 29.7% from three, but he's able to get to the basket. He's been able to give this team 15 points per game. He has been banged up quite a bit this season, but returned in that game against Elkhorn State. Looked relatively solid there. Was able to give the team 14 points. So I do end up giving Jackson State the four-point edge as a result. And you do have someone in Ken Evans that's able to give you five points, four and a half rebounds, shoots 39% from three-point range. I think is going to be a little bit of an X factor. And then down low, Terrence Lewis, who winds up coming in from North Texas, has been able to give this team right around four boards per game this season. But you take a look at him in the team's last three games, right around 16 rebounds. He's been able to come on a little bit with regards to scoring. I think that he's going to be able to do a solid job here for Jackson State. I do think that you wind up getting some late game following, which should wind up helping out the total a little bit. So I did wind up setting this total at a 124. As a result, you've got a Jackson State team that also generates right around seven steals per game. So I do think that there's going to be some run out layups. So taking a look at Jackson State laying a very small number of one to lay up to four with them, along with the over. 306 111, 306 Prairie View AM is going to be playing with the Arkansas Pine Bluff. Pine Bluff is a 12 point underdog in your tallest game saying we're team 149 and a half and 150. You've got Prairie View as the lone team in D1 college basketball without a win. And I do think that they're going to be able to get it in this spot. Arkansas Pine Bluff is a really bad team. And for Prairie View, a big reason why they don't have a win thus far has been because their schedule now. They took a cataclysmically bad loss to Mississippi Valley State. And they're most likely going to be without Juwan Daniels. Once again, in this game, he's their top scorer. So they will give the team 13.5 points, four boards per game. This is a Prairie View team that I do recognize the fact that they shoot 29.5% per three-point range and turn the ball over 18 times per game, but they do generate 10 steals per game. This is headlined by Dwayne Cox, 2.8 steals per game with right around seven points per contest. He's been able to shoot 37.5% from three-point range, so I do like his overall game. You take a look at this Pine Bluff team, and they actually aren't necessarily the world's worst team offensively. They have been able to shoot about 74% in the free throw line. They turn the ball over 13.5 times per game, so could be worse there. You're able to get 10 points, 8.1 rebounds per game out of Brandon Brown, but Brown is most likely going to be out of the fold in this game, and Sean Williams, ever since swag play has began, he has been very much hit or miss in that game that they wanted playing against Alabama A&M. Shot 9.1% from three, but in the two games since then, 52 points, so very much an up-and-down guy. Wanted to begin his career as a starter at East Carolina. You do have a guy that winds up coming in from Western Kentucky and Kylan Melton, who's been able to give you right around 12 points per game, but overall, Arkansas Pine Bluff, this has been one of the worst teams defensively in all of college basketball. I think that they're going to get bludgeoned on that side of things. You've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Trey Sampson. He has come back to the fold and in the two games that he's been back, he's given the team a combined eight points, so I do think that's going to be a bad spot here for Arkansas Pine Bluff Prairie View. I think that the record is a little bit misleading that performance against Mississippi Valley State, no question, it was really terrible, but I think they get up off the mat. They were a swag favorite of many people, not necessarily myself, but I do think that this is a team that they should be able to blow out Arkansas Pine Bluff. I think that that Mississippi Valley State loss proved to be a little bit of a wake-up call for the same size herself. Made this line 13 and a half. I'm willing to lay it with Prairie View. Also made this total 149 and a half. You've got a Prairie View team that plays very up-tempo, but all the turnovers coupled with Daniels being out of the fold, I think is going to cause for a little bit of a lower scoring game, so going to be taking a look at the under to go along with Prairie View. 306-113, Texas Southern is going to be playing us in Mississippi Valley State. The Delta Devils are an 18 and a half point underdog in your tallest game. So here we're team 144 and 145. Wound up setting this total more around a 145 
147. You got a Mississippi Valley State team that they do rank at the top 15 in off college basketball with regards to possessions per game. And then you take a look at Texas Southern. And this is a team that they should be able to win the battle down low. They've actually been playing a little bit slower, but I do think that Texas Southern is going to get back to their roots of playing a little bit faster. You've got a lot of guys. They're able to do a good job on the glass for the team. Bryson Gresham has been able to give you seven and a half rebounds. He was actually able to see some starts on that Houston team that made the final four last season. A block and a half per game certainly has been far from an offensive savant, but able to do a good job down low. Meanwhile, John Walker the third, along the Ahuza Razas, and John Carl Nicholas. I'll give you between five and five and a half rebounds per game. When it comes to Razas, he has been sort of in and out of the fold for the team, but whenever he's gotten minutes, he's always been relatively effective in recent years for Texas Southern. Now, Texas Southern, they only shoot about 30% for three-point range, but P.J. Henry shoots 46.5% for distance. He's been able to give this team 11.5 points per game. A.J. Lawson being out of the fold has really hurt this team. He's been able to come back as an necessarily been himself, but did wind up having five assists in the last game. I do think that that's a very good sign for this backward. And then for Mississippi Valley State, it's really been all about Robert Carpenter, the gentleman that winds coming in from St. Bonaventure, 18 points, 5 rebounds, shooting 32% for 3. Overall, though, Mississippi Valley State, they shoot 64.7% free line, 14 turnovers per game, one of the worst teams with regards to defensive efficiency in all of college basketball. And Carpenter is the only guy giving the team more than 3.5 rebounds per game. They're going to get bludgeoned on that side of things against the Texas Southern team. That's very good on the glass. I think that this is a classic mismatch. Wound up setting Texas Southern as a 23.5 point favorite. I think that this is going to be a letdown spot after Mississippi Valley State did the unthinkable. Went on the road and won a game. So we're willing to lay up to 23 and a half here for Texas Southern. Think that this is going to be a flat spot for the Delta Devils. Also said this total 147 half. So going to be taking a look at an over as well. And we're going to have things up with 306-115, 306-116. You've got Alabama State and they're going to be playing us to Elkhorn State. Elkhorn State, a one point favorite and your tallest game is 139. Alabama State, I feel like has been really undervalued by a lot of people. Set them as a four point favorite. So I'm more than willing to take them as a money line underdog Gerald Liddell is a former Tef 75 recruit that began his career at Texas. He's been very versatile for the team at 6'8". Shoots 43% from 3, 11.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, a block, and 1.3 steals per game. He's been able to give the team 14 plus points in 3 of the team's last 4 games, so he's been able to do an absolutely superb job there. And then on the flip side for Alcorn State, right now your top scorer is Dominic Bruton is able to give the team 8 points right around 4 boards per game. Now, for Alcorn, it truly is a situation which the whole is greater than the sum of its parts as you take a look at it. And you've got pretty much nine different guys that give you more than six points per game, but nobody that gives you more than 8.6. So that is a bit fascinating. You've got Dontrell McCorder. Wines coming in from Ryder. He's been able to give the team right around six half points per game, shooting 37.5% from three-point range, but he never really goes off and has any sort of big performances. The transfer from Morehead State and Justin Thomas has been able to give you 3.7 assists per game. He's been a little bit of a fuller general. He's able to give you two steals per contest, and he's given the team a combined seven steals in the last four games, but certainly not a guy that's going to give you a lot of scoring as he's given the team nine points or fewer in five out of the team's last six games. So you're really looking for guys to be able to step up. Linnell Henry being able to give you six rebounds per game. That's been okay for the team, but five rebounds or fewer now in each other team's last five. So I do think that Elkhorn State just needs to be able to find a little bit of someone to be able to rely upon. Meanwhile, for this Alabama State team, you've got Kenny Strawbridge who's been able to give the team 10 points per game. Three-point shooting has been suspect with them. And for Alabama State, they do commit right around 17 turnovers per game, but they do get right around seven and a half steals per game. And I do like what you're able to get out of DJ Turner 
turn it up Jackson, who has been able to emerge for this team. Eight plus points in each other team's last four games, two plus assists in each other last three. He's been able to step up, being able to give the team a combined eight steals in the last four games. So I take a look at this fight. I think that Alabama State should be able to hold up on their home floor. Alabama State actually ranks in the top 30 with regards to possessions per game. Elkhorn State has been a little bit slower. I think both teams are going to be sloppy in this game. So set this all at 136, diving under and going to Alabama State on the money line. And now wrap things up for the Monday edition of Coast to Coast Soups. Now part of the VEASAN family podcast. A big thanks to our man Kai McKeon of the Three Man Weave for joining me in my segment. If you like what you're hearing from this time podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, got one or two ways to go for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Jaren's 41. Keep in mind, letters DM, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Five that five star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.